Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I'm, and I'm your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Uh, before we jump in, before we go further, whatever platform you're joining the conversation from today, whether you're watching or you're listening, uh, we'd love for you to subscribe, download, uh, leave a five-star rating and a review, and it, it would help so much uh, that review, uh, getting the podcast content uh, that we share here out to others. Um, in today's episode, we're going to discover some of the surprising factors that actually shape our beliefs. We're going to dive deep into the fascinating topic of uh, spiritual formation and how that affects our faith journey. Uh, and for that, uh, we have a content expert, Dr. Tim Barber. Uh, he's on the show today. Dr. Barber, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. And before we jump in, I'd love for the guests to hear just kind of what your specialty is, because it's a unique blend mm -hmm. of the professional world and theology and pastoral roles. Uh, so right. maybe go back into your background, tell us where you come from and, and what brings you to this moment here. Well, you would never guess it from my accent, but I'm from Kentucky. So I uh, grew up there, met my wife, Peggy, at uh, school in Nashville, Tennessee. We were married in 1977, and actually this coming Sunday, July the 9th, will be our 46th wedding anniversary. Years. So yeah, got uh, three adult children and six grandchildren, and they're all close by, so life is good in that arena. Uh, when we graduated, Graduated from college, uh, I went on to Kansas City, the Nazarene Theological Seminary, did a Master's of Divinity. And then in 1982, we launched into pastoral ministry. And I spent 20, 21, 22 years uh, in pastoral ministry within the Church of the Nazarene. Um, planted two, two churches. Um, most of our work was in Kentucky. We spent a little bit of time in North Carolina planting a church. Um, came back, came back home uh, here to, to Kentucky and um, found out about Cincinnati Christian University and the counseling program I had. So I started working on a master's in counseling. So um, graduated from that, I think in 2000. Um, I started a counseling center way back then and was, was just about to step out of pastoral ministry and go full time with the counseling and there was an opening in the faculty at the school, and they invited me to come and teach. So I taught in the counseling program for 13 years uh, at Cincinnati Christian. During that time, I also um, picked up a Doctor of Ministry degree from Asbury Theological Seminary. And uh, a, a Doctor of Ministry in spiritual formation is, is a rare bird. It's very eclectic. And so we looked, we looked at the Bible. We looked at theology. We, we looked at... Uh, there's some touches of, of psychology and human development, uh, but a lot of the, uh, the majority of the work was around the history of spirituality and how people have worshipped God and what are the factors that come together to help us to grow, uh, what are the things that get in the way. And um, I, was, I was blessed to have three, in particular, three very, very knowledgeable and good instructors in that area. Um, things evolved in uh, 2010. Um, we began, we started a Counseling Alliance. And in 2003, I transitioned, uh, not 2003, 2012, 
transitioned full time in into um, counseling. And so we have two offices now, nine therapists. We do a lot of work with relationships. Uh, we do a lot of work with trauma. Um, I've got military veterans and and people who've they've seen and done some horrible things, and just to be able to to work with them uh, has been a privilege. Several of our therapists, uh, in fact, all but one right now, uh, have advanced training in working with issues around sexuality. Mm. And um, when I think when I'm saying sexuality, it is about the problematic sexual behavior. Uh, and that overlaps with the relationship piece. That overlaps with the trauma piece, uh, and uh, you know it, it, those all those topics all come together in, in a counseling session with a, with an individual or with a family. So it's been quite a journey, and and uh, we're blessed. We're, we've there's never been a shortage for clients. A lot of people are hurting uh, for different reasons, uh, and so I think God has really blessed and led us at Counseling Alliance. Well, it sounds like you've lived a couple lifetimes uh, there as well, uh, a couple careers and uh, you know, big family, all those types of things, and also that holistic approach to the person, um, which is kind of what we're delving into here today. That's exactly mm-hmm. what we're delving into here today. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of the first questions we want to talk about as we're setting the stage for several episodes to talk about spiritual formation what guides that for us, our view of God, is really starting with what does it even mean to be a person, um, mm-hmm. which can, for some, maybe seems like a strange place to start. Well, yeah, I'm a person. I get that. And I'm me. Me. Uh, right. Why would I need to dig deeper there? Um, but maybe we'll start at just that right there as we dig deeper. Um, what are the various factors that maybe contribute to shaping our identity as individuals? And what does it mean to be a person? Mm, Big question. There are too many factors that come together, too many variables that come together to be able to to say this is what makes us who we are. Uh, You know, I I think, I don't think it's a stretch. There's certainly hundreds of different factors that come together. We've got culture. We've got genetic history. We've got um, just our own life experiences, the, the family of origin that we were born into our education it just the the influences upon us just go go on and on and on and you know there's a incredible mixture of things that's happening within us the way god has created us um we are there's a lot of complexity in in just trying to define that old question all after all these years of psychology and science and studying we still don't have a good handle on where emotions come from well that's that's comforting. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know at all. So they just rise. Yeah, they just rise up sometimes, and you know, create a little storm, so, and then they go. Wait. The, mm-hmm. So if we don't, there seems like there's so much out there on trying to understand emotion, where it comes mm-hmm. from. Oh, and let's think about this too. God shows emotion. It's one of the ways, yes. as I understand it, that we're made in His image. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is that makes us not understand it more? Well, we're fallen for one. Oh, there we go. I I would start with that. Actually, you mentioned this, but uh, it it is being created in the image of God. And so when I think about trying to define what it means to be a person, I think one of the best things that we can do is to go right back to the beginning, to the creation stories in Genesis. And, And we find some things there that I think are important even today 
uh, God said, let us make man in our image. Uh, and so that tells us something about the plurality of God, not God's with an S, mm-hmm. but Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're constantly in relationship with one another. And uh, we see that Adam and Eve were created. They were in the Garden of Eden. And um, so there was relationship There's that's a, a part of who God is. He's relational within himself, but he created. It's not good for man to be alone, so he created a, a partner for us. Uh, so one of the dynamics of being a person is that we are a relational individual. Um, we also were put in uh, the garden, um, uh, and that seemed to be sort of a place that God visited. You know, we're told that God would come and walk in the cool of the evening in the garden. I can't imagine what that would have been like. I mean, we we talk about having, and we do have great spiritual experiences where God feels close to us and, and we feel connected, but to literally walk in the garden with God, that's what we lost. Yeah, yeah I think uh, sometimes about... You know the the passage in scripture where Jesus had the little children come to him and sit on his lap. Yes, I'm like, can you imagine sitting on the lap of the creator? There, there had to be something different mm-hmm. there that a child experienced. You know, because mm-hmm. people it seems when Jesus passed by knew there's something different. Even the centurion, he knew mm-hmm. it at the the cross. There's something different here, and he went through so many people dying on the cross. He probably lost count. It was just something they, they would line the roads, but something mm-hmm. was different about that all too common uh, experience. Um, yeah. So with that, let's let's dive more into that relationship part of it, because uh, you talk about uh, genetics, culture, life experiences, all those other factors at work on us. Um, mm-hmm. What? How do the the relationships in our life uh, affect maybe how we uh, view ourselves in relation to God? Well, again, multiple ways. Um, we are taught what it means to be in relationship as a child. And that occurs primarily in our families of origin. And so the relationships that we have uh, with, our, with our family of origin gets projected onto other people and how we, what we expect to happen and not happen within a relationship. But it also shapes the way that we see God. So if I had a very benevolent father, kind of a grandfatherly like person, it's a you know, here just you know let me give you this and let's go do this together and let's you know always giving giving giving, uh, then I'm probably likely to see God as being a very benevolent God. If my father was an authoritarian, very strict, uh, I'll probably look at God as being authoritarian and strict, and and the list just goes on. Probably the most important factor, though, is the nature of the relationship itself. Uh, Kurt Thompson talks about a feeling, I always get these mixed up, but safe, seen, and soothed. Mm. And, and, and to be safe means when I'm in a relationship and when I'm with another person, we both feel safe. I think this person has got my back. I've got their back. We're not going to belittle each other. We're not going to laugh at one another's ideas. We're going to... We're going to um, support and encourage, and, and that's tangible. It can be felt. 
when that is happening between, especially husband and a wife, it is, it is tangible. Uh, the um, you know the other aspect of of that is that um, what we call the attachment theory. That whole thing. It's just um, a secure attachment is what we strive for. But there's actually a pretty small percentage of of the population that have naturally a secure attachment style. And so we have to work because what happens in growing up is we will have an experience, maybe a tough interaction with our parents. And as a child, I have two choices about that. I can, I can blame myself and say, well, there must be something wrong with me or dad wouldn't have spoken to me like that. Or I can blame dad or mom or whomever it is. But a child rarely does that because just the power differential and and the size and the wisdom and all that's wrapped up in that, we think, oh, my goodness, these are adults. They know what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Not so much. (laughs) Then you grow up to be an adult and you realize we don't know what we're doing at all. There you go. There you go. But it shapes shapes our personhood. Uh, it, It is also just transferred in the way that we relate to God. Well, you talk about that, you know, a, a relationship with our parents, um, and we'll get more into that in a, in a little bit further in the show here. But we also, you know, I hear some people say, "Oh, there they go, blaming blaming their parents for everything." And uh, but there's so many more factors. It's not just our parents. Certainly, though, you're right. They give us that image of who God is. But that begs the other question too. With all these other factors, uh, that concept of imago dea. Um, how does the world maybe try to shape us differently from God's intended purpose in light of we're made in his image? When we think about the story of what happened in um, the creation accounts, uh, we realize that by chapter three, things went terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we go from um, a couple who is able to physically walk in the garden with God to a family that's so dysfunctional that one son kills the other, one generation. So lost their home in the Garden of Eden. Um, so, you know, I've, I've looked at, you know, to summarize the being created in God's image, I talk about we are created to be in relationship with him. We're created to be in relationship with others. And we're created to be in relationship with the world. They were to have dominion over the garden, naming the animals and all that goes along with that. All, you know, those three pieces took a really hard hit in the fall. And, and so we don't know God as well. And there's, we're working. That's what this whole process is about, is trying to find our way back to a God who's also working to reach out to us. Um, human relationships, I mean, we're... Marriages are tough. Marriage, they're just, they're difficult. Parenting is tough. Relationships in general are tough. And you look at the world at a global level, and it's kind of scary sometimes. Um, and then we have to work by the sweat of our brow. Uh, so we've, we're, you know, all that took a hit. And one of the pieces, you know, another aspect of God is God is, you know, omnipotent. He knows it all. Okay. We don't. And so as people grow and as they are under the influences of the culture that they grow up in, the education that they have in, the family of origin, all that stuff working together, people develop their own ideas about what's right, what's wrong, how life should be, who I am, 
what it means to be a person. Everybody has that concept, even if they don't articulate it. We kind of think that's you know an object, an object representation kind of piece where I, I can st- kind of step outside of myself and say, okay, this is this is who I am, and it may be accurate, it may be not, um, but we've got that sense. But what happens is, at the the moment of birth, oh, we we're all of a sudden now thrust into try, to trying to understand with. Uh, an emotional mind because that's all we have at birth what it means to be in relationship and if and if i feel safe uh, great i'm, I'm going to probably develop healthy uh, in a healthier way uh, if i'm spoken to roughly um not changed right away when i'm dirty not fed right away when i'm hungry not held and soothed when i'm fussy i'm gonna think wow this is a scary world mm. i can't verbalize it but emotionally I'll feel it. And so right from the very beginning, the world is misshaping us. And, and that is not because we have bad parents, that, that's, um, that's a result of the fall. We, we, just don't, we just don't know how to do things at the same level of efficiency that was there prior to the fall. Well, it sounds like a little bit of what you're talking about is that eternal question that people in nature versus nurture you know, how much of that is yeah. just genetics passed down versus I'm nurtured into this. And it sounds like, well, act, yeah, it's both. <laughs> it is both. It, it actually is. It's an interesting thing when we think about um, genetics and, um, you know, there are, I think, and I'm not a medical doctor, so, uh, but my research tells me that there are about 3 million pairs in a DNA strand in our genome, human genome. There's also within that four different options. And so if you multiply out how many possible combinations are there for a person from a genetic perspective, you have the number 81 with 30 zeros behind it. There's that many options in terms of what, how we develop from just from the genetic perspective. So, so to say, you know, um, nature, yeah, it has, it has an impact upon us. You know, that gives us the variety that we have. There are some things that can be passed down, some tendencies toward um, hair color and baldness and other kinds of things. Um, but a lot of life is also learned, and that's what happens in real time within relationships, uh, the experiences that, that come our way in life. We learn from that. We absorb that experience, uh, and it teaches us something. And we make choices. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this something I want to follow through with? Or is this something, okay, that was a one-off. I'm not doing that again. Uh, and, and so that process of learning over time really begins to shape that sense of who I am. The one, I'll just toss this out. We'll come back to it at some point, I'm sure. Um the one thing that really throws a, a wrench into the gears is trauma. Hmm. And, and if there is significant trauma, to, and it doesn't have to be great big trauma, it's just if it's consistent. That's significant trauma too. Uh, that really messes with the attachment system, with um, our sense of self, our sense of relationship. Uh, it can be a pretty scary world for a young child who's going through those you know, difficult things 
not knowing what to do. And so we become isolated, detached from others, um, the opposite of what God intended. Well, there's so much there because then we could get into the sidebars of, you know, trauma passed down, uh, you know, overtly or mm-hmm. is passed down through genes. Can it be passed down through genes? All those things. But mm-hmm. for sake of time, I'd like to move towards that, that you mentioned getting a sense of self as you're becoming aware of your surroundings, you're learning your environment. Uh, those around you are a part of that, the relationships. Uh, but you mentioned, you know, getting a sense of self. Uh, and in the pre-show, you and I were talking about those, the four categories of experiences, choices, those influences uh, over our view of ourselves, really our view of God as well. Uh, maybe dive into those those four sure. categories. So, um, you know, there are so many, there are so many factors that go together to make it, make us who we are. Uh, it's impossible to catalog all of those and, and to try to manage all of those. So some very wise people quite some time back uh, said, let's look at what happens in life on a day-to-day basis and let's categorize this. And they actually came up with, with four categories and, um, it doesn't matter where we start in these. They are they all work together. They're always impacting one another. But uh, in the terminologies, are, I mean, it's a little. The original author was very scientific in his in his thinking, so he uses those great big words. But he talks about mediated experiences. Essentially, that's just life experience. It's the things that happen to us. Uh, now, there's an interesting interplay here because uh, the life experiences that that you know, this field of thought is thinking about are the things that come to us. It's what our teachers taught us in school. It's, it's what we absorb from, from media. It's, it's all those things that work together. Uh, it's the things that we do, it's experiences. And so the things we do with, with other people in relationship, uh, things we do or by ourselves, and we develop likes and dislikes about sports or hobbies or whatever. Um, and the, and the challenge the challenge there is that these life experiences are internalized while we're working on developing that sense of self. And so there's this internal part. So even though the, for classification purposes, we think about life experiences as an influence that comes to us externally, there's the internal process of how do I process this? Okay, this event occurred. What does this mean? How do I... How do I deal with this? How do I fold this into my life? And if we think back to uh, the question there of what goes wrong and, and how, to, how is it that the world works so diligently to misshape us? In my office, I have a small plastic cube. And um, the cube is designed for um, working in a kitchen. You cook an egg, hard-boiled egg, you peel the egg while it's still warm. You put it in the cube. You put the top on it. You screw it down where there's pressure on it, and you let it cool. Once it cools, you open it up, and you have a square egg. And, you know, people cut them, slice them up and put them in salads, and, you know, they're decorative and all that stuff. They don't taste any different, but, but they're just they're nice to look at. But that's what the world is doing every moment. The world, you know, we are, in essence, kind of in that cube and the world is trying to force us into its image of who we should be. 
and it's not just one. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, there's hundreds, thousands of different people who want to influence us. Uh, and that is that mediated experience component where a lot of those things come through. And we really need to develop good filters mm. to be able to discern what's healthy, what's not healthy. Uh, there's also, uh, for the categories, there's there's also what happens to us interpersonally. And we've, we've talked about the power of relationship already. But um, you know, if we're in any, any relationship that lasts more than a few seconds, there's some kind of a, an exchange there of I get a feel that this person is friendly or okay, safe, whatever. This could be the cashier at the grocery store. Uh, it could, you know, it could be a coworker. It could be anybody or a family member. I, I think a lot of people understand the power of relationship in that they understand either they can't relate or there's a problem with a relationship. Even if they can't put their finger on it, a lot of them may seek out help, not because of themselves, but because of what they experience with others. Yes. Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, and, um, there's a lot of factors that go together. Uh, some of that, some of that, I, when I say trauma and, and when I talk about family of origin, uh, one of the things I want to really say is this, this is not about blaming our parents. Okay. It's, it's about getting the story straight about the influences that occurred to shape us into the people whom we are. Were our parents perfect? No. Um, am I a perfect parent? No. Uh, and so you know, it's not about blaming parents. It's about looking not only at the influence of how our parents help shape us, but our teachers in school, our coaches, our friends, our neighbors, and, and, and the list just goes on and on. So, you know, we're, we're, we get to that place where uh, not only interpersonally are we beginning to get a handle around that, but now it's beginning to be internalized in that sense of self. This is the intrapersonal response uh, of these categories, and it's all the things that work together to really shape me. You know, the cube, you know, do I respond to that or do I say, no, this is not the direction that I want to go. Um, and, and so, you know, God's word says live this way. The world is saying live this way. I've got to make a choice in, in those life choices and life experiences that we make are really the fourth category that things fall into. So we can take these hundreds of, of different factors that come together to to make us who we are. We boil them down into four. And the key to this, if we drew this at a schematic of this, um, we would have a circle and these four things spaced equally like the 12 o'clock, the three o'clock, the six o'clock, nine o'clock position. And in the center of that, we would put a cross. And that represents that um, the whole process of spiritual formation, these four categories that we've been talking about, are all designed to help us to become more like Christ. And, uh, you know, that's the daily, that's the daily experience of living out our faith. That's, that's the constant challenge of choices that we make to do the right thing uh, because it will have an impact upon us whether we choose the right thing or the wrong thing. So for the clarity, clarity's sake for the listener, let's, uh, mm -hmm. if you can just list those off 
those four categories once again that we've just dived through. And again, I feel like this one could be a whole episode on its own. Sure. Uh, but again, a basis for understanding spiritual formation. So those four categories one more time. Well, the first is is what we call uh, mediated experience. And, and there's some redundancy in this. So uh, I, I just, for simplicity's sake, call it life experiences. These are anything that comes to us from external source. There's the interpersonal relationships that, that we are a part of. That's family of origin, kids in the neighborhood when we're growing up, school, all, all the stuff that goes into that. Uh, and then there's the intrapersonal, which this is how I am internalizing this. And and this this is where we're beginning to learn to speak into our core. Uh, my desires, the longings of my heart, those kind of things begin to emerge. And, and then life experience, particularly negative ones, but but also positive. Uh, life experiences would, would be the fourth, which sounds redundant for mediated, but in the literature there's there's some distinctions, which maybe we can do a podcast on that sometime. So. Well, I, I'm sure we'll be, we've, we've had you back several times, we'll, and I'm sure we will again to pick your brain. But it's interesting you said you mentioned that cross in the middle and how right. we're always trying to conform ourselves to the likeness mm-hmm. of Christ. And just a, a side thought with thinking about as it were made in the image of God, and a lot of people these days, especially uh, and also in the secular world, they want to understand self more. Um, but in the in the Christian world, we understand made in the image of God. If I if I look at God and I study the characteristics of God, and I try to understand God more, I also start to understand myself more. Um, not, you know, that we are God. I'm not saying that at all. No. Um, waiting on some emails for that one. No, I'm (laughs) saying we, not that we're little gods even. No, we're not, we're made in the image of God. Um, and, and, and it's so wonderful to think about that God loves us so much and wants a relationship with us so much that he even gives us the grace to want to be in a relationship with him. Yes. He gives us that because we can't do anything on our own. Uh, you mentioned that uh, that those influences coming in, mm-hmm. but what about? I, I don't think that everyone, at least me, I'll speak from my standpoint. Uh, you come to a certain point in your life and you realize, oh yes, I am internalizing these things, or yes, that that did have an effect on me, and you move from that. I'm just going to I'm going through life, and I can I can take on anything. To yes, there are things that affect me unconsciously. Uh, and the question I have for you on that is how can we maybe become more aware of those influences that affect us unconsciously that shape our beliefs and our perceptions? Yeah. There was a, um, a speech given, um, several years ago now and this, this, uh, really I think sums up a lot of what you're talking about. The, the uh, speaker said that uh, there were some fish that were swimming along in the ocean, two young fish. Uh, they came upon an older fish, and the older fish said, good morning, boys, how's the water? They swam on a little bit, and one turned to the other and said, what's water? And that's the way that we are in this world. Uh, we, we are swimming in a sea of influences uh, the average person today in America uh, experiences eight and a half hours of media exposure every day. Eight and a half hours. 
that's television, that's internet, that's music, that's all the stuff that goes along with that. Um, but, uh, you know, we can't help but be shaped by, by those things. Um, and the challenge in, in internalizing all that is to become self-aware enough to know um, this is impacting me. You know, I'm, I'm you know, becoming a couch potato or, or whatever. I'm not engaged with other people the way that I should be. It could be um, maybe I'm staying up late watching TV or you know, the kids that are gaming and such. And so it's beginning to affect us physically in terms of our health. Um, children will not per- perform as well in school when they're not getting enough sleep. The list just goes on and on of the influences of media. And it's only getting worse. It's, you know, who needs 200 channels on their television? You know, it's just, you can watch one at a time. So, you know, who needs 200? But that's the world pushing its agenda, saying, let's, let's influence, let's, let's get them to believe this, and then they'll buy our product, or then they'll, they'll believe the way that we believe. And, and it, it, every fabric of life, politics, economically, religiously across the board we've got you know influences that are trying to build us up and strengthen us and encourage us a podcast you know but we've also got a lot of things that are unhealthy and if i'm not self-aware enough to be able to to sense when something is taking me down the wrong path uh, i've got a lot of work to do meditation is a is a a word we could get some emails about that probably (laughs) Sounds like a bad word. Oh, the Eastern medicine. There they go. Yeah, exactly. It is not. Uh, I mean, it can be. People people do practice the Eastern style. But, you know, you're, we're told in Scripture to hide God's word in our hearts and, and, and to think on these things. And uh, when I am intentionally thinking about a particular topic and spending some time with that, I'm meditating. That, that, that's just that's the process. It's not rocket science difficult to do because our mind our attention span is so short but um and getting shorter and getting shorter yes because of media influences and other things but um you know the, the meditation piece of just and, and we start very often with our body our, especially men men will feel an emotion physiologically in their body before they are able to identify that emotion and so to be able to be mindfully aware of what my body's telling me. So if I find myself in a, in a difficult conversation and my chest gets tight or I have a knot in my stomach or uh, I realize I'm beginning to sweat or, or something, that tells me something. What's going on here that's causing this physiological reaction? That's where we're bringing all of who we are together and in, in beginning to be able to discern these are the healthy and good things. These are the things that are bringing trouble into my life. Uh, so, and that that's a good reminder too of we are not our identity is not in our urges, our emotions, uh, a, a an intrusive thought. Uh, our identity is not in those things. The old uh, metaphor of you know the birds are going to fly overhead, but you don't have to let them make a nest. Yes, uh, you know th- those things if. Your identity is not in what you feel in any given moment. Um, it's not in that. It is not. 
It is not thoughts and emotions come and go. And if I base my reality in terms of who I see myself to be on those things, it's very fleeting. Now, having said that, we do need a framework of this. This is what I believe. And, And that's where the choice comes into play is to be able to discern uh, what is God's will and, and how should I be living and what are, what does it mean from a intellectual perspective to live a, a Christian life and, and to uh, you know work towards the values that are consistent with what God would have me to do you know that's the work of spiritual formation and, and that is a moment by moment experience in our lives. There are things that we do, um, our Bible study, our prayer, our corporate worship, all those things. But the real nuts and bolts of spiritual formation happen moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year, decade by decade. It's an ongoing process. So uh, one of the best definitions that I've heard of spiritual formation is to be conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And I like that uh, because it's so purposeful. It, it lays it out. We are to be conformed. We, we, are, we are not alone in this. We, we have the help of other people. Uh, we have uh, the Holy Spirit who's leading us, guiding us, Scripture that is there as our guide. Uh, God, is, God is, of all the gods that are supposed to be in this universe, you know, our God is the only one that is depicted as reaching out to people. In all of the others, it is people reaching out to God. Uh, our God is, you know, it's obviously the one true God, but but He is the one who demonstrates that He loves His creation. Well, we've we've talked a lot about well all sorts of stuff, and again, I think this could be multiple episodes. But given that brief overview, we've talked about, uh, you know what it means to be a person made in the image of God, uh, the way our parents set up some of that image, the four categories uh, of those experiences, those influences in our lives. Um, but let's dig down. We, we touched on it just a little bit with kind of like that genetics, uh, nature versus nurture, trauma being passed down, trauma forming us. Can we dive a little bit deeper there? Because I think a lot of people that listen to these episodes – uh, that watch um, uh, these from from whatever uh, wherever they are, they do come to this with some level of trauma. Um, it's just it seems it's a part of life. So maybe let's dive in with uh, w- in what ways do negative events, trauma, impact our lives as adults, our our personalities, our relationships with others, our relationship with God. Uh, maybe give us some insights there. Another big question. Um, if we think of those four categories and, and we think of the intrapersonal, that's, that sense of who I am, um, where's my place in the world and such, that is, of the four, I think, potentially the area or the arena of life that is most affected by trauma. It, it strikes a blow at our sense of self. Uh, is not only am I not safe in this world, uh, many trauma victims don't feel safe with themselves. Mm. They wow. just, yes, they um, uh, they don't trust their judgment. 
they don't they don't trust the decisions experiences uh, they don't trust other people who, who can I rely upon to really be safe for me uh, in severe trauma it, it really it can shut a person down not only at the horizontal level with other people but also vertically you know where were you God when all this stuff was happening uh, I have heard that question too many times over 40 years of working with people um, so it, it's just, and, and the piece of that, Nate, is the meaning that we attribute to the trauma. Now, what happens, and I don't mean to minimize this at all, what happens is important, okay? But it's what I tell myself about that. And, and so um, one of the things that we do is we think, we think about trauma in two different ways. We think about what we call big, big T trauma. And this is typically a single event, Um Several years ago, I had a client who um, uh, was driving. She had uh, her children and a, uh, another child uh, in the vehicle that they were babysitting. And uh, she pulled out in front of another car. And uh, thankfully, everybody was in car seats. Um, the speed limit there was low. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. Uh, and, you know, Lord was really watching over them, I think. Even at 35, there can be a lot of damage done. Um, but she couldn't drive after that. And and she would get flashes of of things coming at her from the left-hand side, and, and even when nothing was there. That's big T trauma. She may live the rest of her life and not have another auto accident. Okay. Small things that happen repetitively, whether it's in family of origin, whether it's with teachers, whether it's uh, with the neighborhood bullies, you know, it, the, the list goes on and on. Those small things that take away from our sense of self, that put us down, that ca- cause us to question once again, where can I be safe? Uh, who is safe? Uh, I don't, and like I said, don't even trust myself to make decisions. And uh, either of those, the big tree, big T trauma, or uh, the small T trauma, also called complex trauma, uh, both of those will shape our relationships with other people and also shape our relationships with God. And it seems like, and I'm just making this up uh, about others, but it seems like if you if you get into maybe some of those little T situations, because I can I can relate with that individual in the car accident. Like, wow, that's that's huge. Even at thirty five miles an hour, if you know there's that type of danger and you experience mm-hmm. the crunching of a vehicle that's supposed to be, you know, just this is metal and steel, and like, well, this should be fine. That mm-hmm. that that's understandable. Uh, but maybe if you experience some of those little t uh, traumas where it was very meaningful for you. And in fact, maybe somebody was there with you and they didn't have that same experience or attach that same meaning to it. Now, if I verbalize that I have this level of trauma from that, I'm crazy. I'm not going to tell anybody about that when really the very thing you need to do is reach out uh, and, and express it. Let somebody know the meaning it had and, and move through it with somebody, mm-hmm. um, especially when you t- think about all the trauma that happens in the world. Uh, my trauma is as big as, you know, a world war or something like that, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it, it can seem like your trauma might be meaningless. Yes. 
the challenge the challenge there is that the repetitive complex trauma um, creates a whole line of thought around is this ever going to change? Will I ever be safe? And so recovery from a single event, a big T trauma, has the potential of pretty, you know, we have a pretty good out, outcome in working in counseling with people who have the big T trauma, okay? The complex trauma is a much bigger, tougher issue. And, and there are things that we can do that, that does help, but, uh, and things individuals can do that helps. Uh, but it tends, in many cases, to have a greater impact upon us. Because I can write off an auto accident and say, you know, I may, I may go the rest of my life and never have another one. Uh, and, and I can recover pretty quickly. Uh, but, man, if I've had 20 years of, of uh, verbal and emotional and other types of abuse, uh, that's a different animal. So understanding that side of it, Let's talk about that generational aspect that we put on it mm-hmm. with uh, the complex part of it. You said the PTSD. Is is it possible for that to go through generations? And again, not attributing it like if somebody doesn't break a cycle or somebody mm-hmm. has trauma in their life, oh, now I'm affecting generations. Uh, with, with all those caveats, is it possible for there to be generational effects from trauma if the trauma is not happening in that moment? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, um, we have a pretty good handle on part of how this happens, but it's essentially a genetic factor that a person who is traumatized that does something to that person's genome. Uh, there are some genes that are fixed and never change. Uh, there are what we, uh, epigenetic factors that come into play where you may have a, a, a genetic switch that doesn't get flipped and connected until something happens. So I might have a predisposition to smoking because um, my parents, which I didn't, um, but lots of my uncles and aunts, grandparents, a lot of smokers on both sides of the family. And so I might have a predisposition to being a smoker. And and so if I were to start smoking, I could be hooked right away. So that's an influence of trauma from other people that influences my susceptibility to getting hooked upon something. Interesting that studies have shown that even grandchildren of Holocaust survivors have a higher rate of PTSD than the general population. And how in the world could that happen? Well, again, that, that gets passed down uh, there's a genetic component to that. Um, I would suspect there's also the the uh, interpersonal connection. Hey, here's grandma, here's grandpa. They're telling their story of what they went through. And I'm hearing this. And so there's a, a traumatic element there. But the study looked at, at simply kind of a blank slate. Who has PTSD? Who doesn't have PTSD? And grandchildren of Holocaust survivors have a higher rate. So without a doubt, it gets passed down. So with that passing down of the trauma, and, and, and we, we're, we're talking about spiritual formation here, mm-hmm. but we're setting the basis for how does spiritual formation happen based on our past stories. Just like with the different views of the moment of trauma, 
there's also those different views shaped of God um, from our lives. So maybe let's, let's shift gears and kind of go there with, and you've mentioned studies on the Holocaust. Is there anything around that as well about the, the view we each have of, of who God is? Well, anything, anything that happens, I mean, I, I, I believe that we are much more of a sponge than what we, what we think. We soak things up, uh, and, and we, if we spend any time at all thinking about it, and especially if we repeat that, that event uh, or behavior, um, you know, that becomes a part of who we are. But these beliefs that we, that we adopt about other people, uh, like how we relate to our parents, or other important people in our lives um, gets does get transferred to God, and so Baylor University did a study several years ago, and they they came up with um, uh, the different ways in which people view God, and uh, about thirty one percent of the people who responded uh, to that survey pictured God as being authoritarian. In, 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 in that study, an authoritarian God was defined as uh, he is the God who he sets all the rules, um, he sets all the punishments, so when you don't do what you're supposed to do, bang, you're in time out. Something's going on here. Uh, and so um, also very dis- distant emotionally. Uh, it's hard to get close to somebody who's watching our every move. And, and so we feel distant, afraid, uh, and difficult to become comfortable in, in the presence of someone whom we see as authoritarian, whether that's a parent or a coach or a teacher or God. Uh, so uh, that's one that's one of the views that comes through there. Uh, another was uh, a benevolent God. And this is sort of a grandfatherly-like figure. Uh, oh, he'll, you know, just, just pray. He'll give you what you want. You know, um, uh, he'll take care of you. He'll be there for you. Uh, and, you know, that's, that, you know, is a strong play on the love of God and God's presence with us. But it creates problems because, you know, God isn't our grandfather. And, and he doesn't just dole out lollipops and, and you know, other things every time we see them. And so um, it's a it's a mis construed view of God and people will sometimes figure out why well, this isn't working the way I thought it was supposed to work when something bad happens Lord why weren't you there for me mm-hmm. uh, if you were a benevolent God you would have protected me from that so it raises all sorts of questions then about how we relate and how we feel about God that's a, that's an interesting viewpoint because it sounds like even having a God who is almost like a slot machine can be damage, damaging as well because that won't, it's not reality. So when that doesn't happen, maybe that's instead of lightning and judgment, the smite button has been pushed. Um, it's more like, oh, well, he wasn't there for me uh, in the way that I wanted him to be. Well, be, before we, because we, we talked a lot about relationships and everything and, and, and a lot of negative things here and how those affect our view of God. And I don't want to leave the listener just with uh, all is all is woe. Um, before we go into maybe some well, practical steps of what we can do with what we've heard about in this episode, and there's going to be more episodes, um, a, a, three or four, really to, to get dig into the spiritual formation, um, which is so vital. 
uh, any other views of God or anything before we move on to those practical steps that you want to address? Yeah, there there was one other that came from the Baylor study. Uh, so we have the authoritarian, the benevolent. Uh, the other is the distant God. Mm. I think a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, that one. Yep. I've yeah. It's, well, it's even if it's not a continued thing, I feel like that can be a a time as well for even the most spiritual of characters. Oh uh, yes, the distant God. Yeah, yeah. Saint John of the Cross's book, The Dark Night of the Soul. Mm. So mm. that's you know, um, uh, it's also um, if you go back in even our own American history that there's 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 always been. Uh, portion of our population that had what we call a deist view of God, mm-hmm. uh, that he created the universe, kind of set it in motion and said, okay, you're on your own. Hope the top doesn't spin uh, over and fall. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that, and the worst case scenario is the distant God. And that's uh, along a continuum. Others might say that they believe in a personal God and that he is involved, but he just doesn't seem to care much about me. And I've heard I've heard people say in John three sixteen I, I believe fully God loves the world I just don't think He loves me, mm. and that's coming from a really deep place of pain in that person's life. Wow! Again, shaping your view of who God is. Yes. Um, so uh, when when God doesn't meet our expectations, when our image of God uh, doesn't meet our lived experiences, uh, or, or the image of God rather doesn't meet our lived experiences, all that is we've we've brought everybody to a very low point. Yes, <laughs> yeah, great. A lot of dark stuff. I resonate with that. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, but what what can we? Is there anything? It's not that distant, futile. God doesn't care. Is there anything mm-hmm. that can be done here? Uh, maybe let's transition into. Any practical steps that you have from lived wisdom, spiritual formation, uh, any of those uh, counseling, what are some maybe some practical steps, healing, restoration that can be done around these things? Uh, and we'll dig into this more in some more episodes. So again, mm-hmm. setting the groundwork that can be done about these things so that we can have a healthy relationship with God, a healthy view of who he is so that we can begin healthy spiritual formation. Nate, I think one of the first and, and foremost things is never give up hope. Hmm. You know, I talked about God earlier as the God who also reaches out to us, and He wants to be involved in our lives, and He knows our pain. And so sometimes we have to kind of work through some of the beliefs that we've internalized, and that's where therapy can come into play, of having someone to talk to that has some experience and having these conversations about how we, we may have uh, internalized negative messages about ourselves or relationships, nobody's safe, um, that kind of stuff. So, so counseling and you know, therapy can help. You, know, we're, it's, you don't have to be some crazy, mentally ill, psycho person to come and see a counselor. You know, I'm a therapist. I've been a therapist since 2000. I have seen a therapist, so I've been a client. I've sat on both sides of, of the, you know, the chair there. Uh, so there's times when we just need to to talk these things through. And um, friends are good. Uh, some pastors are good. Uh, some pastors they have. You know, it's the the old joke that you give a three year old boy a hammer and everything looks like a nail. <laughs> uh, and I was a pastor, so I'm speaking to myself. Okay, but uh, for some pastors, the, the all their training and everything has been geared toward. Well, this is what the Bible says. 
which I don't underestimate uh, the power of that at all. You know, it's very important, a scriptural perspective on our past, where we are today, and where we are headed is a very key piece of this. And so being grounded in scripture uh, is essential to this whole process and will become even more so when we talk about the spiritual formation pieces. Most trauma that comes our way comes from another person. The single most important thing that can happen is we find healthy people to be connected to. And that can be new relationships or it can be doing the tough work of working through the difficult components of a relationship that in the past has been harmful. Uh, and again, counseling can help in, in that arena. Um, but it's a relational wound, essentially. Is I'm, I'm not, we think about I'm created in the image of God and that image has been marred, so I'm not myself. And so I need to get back into a relationship that is as close to what God created me to be as is possible. So there's a, that's that relation, relational component with, with God. And then the relational component with others to continually be about um, getting support from others, building healthy relationships, safety, honesty, vulnerability, availability. Uh, and, and we have to be careful because we can overextend ourselves and, and such, but to be able to have some people that we can count on. Uh, and also people that can count on us. So it's a reciprocal relationship. So if there's negative influences, negative patterns in our lives, mm-hmm. uh, and you mentioned trying to find those healthy people, uh, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I break free of the negative cycles and actually find someone who is, who is healthy? Well, that's where, um, you know, putting ourselves in places where we're much more likely to encounter those, those folk are. Um, and that can be a healthy church. Uh, it can be a small group. Um, it can be uh, just, uh, you know, a coworker that we know has a faith and, and uh, they seem solid. And so I encourage people to start out slowly you don't, you know, in the first conversation that you have with somebody, you don't want to tell your your entire history of trauma. <laughs> you probably never see that person again. <laughs> um, but to be able to just put a little piece out there and and see how it's handled, and if they respond well, like, okay, let's give it some time, let it settle, and we put another little piece out there. And um, if they're handling that well, we think, okay, that's, this could this could work. And especially if they're reciprocating, I tell a piece of my story, they say a piece of their story. Now there's a shared component around, yeah, we both understand pain. How do we help each other through this? So again, relationship is, is the essence of healing. Yeah, they, they say Rome wasn't built in the day, and relationships are ever-changing as well. Yes, they are. Uh, so those will be worked on. Coming to the end here, we're almost out of time. Uh, but I want to make sure any other practical steps, any other tools uh, that we can put in our tool belt uh, as we're working through some of these things we've talked about today with with all the negativity, all the influences, both seen, unseen, uh, unseen, overt, covert, all those things. Any other tool tools we can put in our tool belt? Well, there's 
tons of tools. <laughs> and, and that is where the uh, spiritual formation piece comes into play. It's essential that we're grounded in Scripture. Yeah, scripture, um, you know, if you if you read, particularly in the Old Testament, if you read in the Old Testament, but there's some examples in the New as well, of people who really went through some difficult times. And and if we if we read that not as a story, okay, this happened, you know, and just looking at the data, and we look at the dynamics for that person who was going through a difficult time, and how did God bring healing to that person? There are examples there that that we could look to, and, and that brings us not you know, knowledge about how God works, but it also gives us hope hmm. that God is not that authoritarian, grandfatherly, weak, kind of happy-go-lucky. He meets us where we are and, and is able to slowly walk us through that to the place of healing and health, much more toward wholeness. Uh, so scripture, worship, uh, and that is where um, we do. You know, God is the God that reaches out to us, but it's also very important that we reach out to him. And, and worship does two things. It demonstrates our commitment to reaching out to him, but it also engages that emotional side of things. And, and uh, I know some churches are over the top emotionally, uh, it seems to me at least. Um, but uh, there are some churches that, that um, there's not much emotion. It's all rational. It's all cognitive. Uh, trauma is a right brain issue, an emotional issue, and you can't cure an emotional wound with reason, which is a left brain function. And so we need worship uh, to help engage the emotions, to feel safe, to feel God's presence, uh, and in that. That's a healing component when that happens. Uh, there are great books out there. There's a lot being written these days on trauma and healing, and, and um, some of them are quite good, and um, some of them maybe not so. <laughs> um, but um, I tell you what, I will commit myself to doing right here, right in front of everybody. I'll put a list together of some books around this that I think would be uh, good resources, and you can find a way to make that available. Well, we'll we'll put that in the show notes. So if you're listening, watching, just scroll down there, take a look at all those resources. Uh, well, that's about all the time we have for this episode. Be looking for more episodes if you're listening uh, around this idea of spiritual formation. Uh, but Dr. Barber, thank you for being on the show today uh, and sharing your expertise with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And for you, the listener, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a five-star rating, uh, follow, and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow there and hit the notification bell to never miss an episode. Like I say every time, there is no us without you. So get engaged. Continue on your journey of restoration. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. And until then, we'll be praying for you.